Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor Program uh, from a beautiful sunny day here in Minnesota. Today we're going to start uh, what I think will be a two or three part series. And uh, I've invited one of our uh, counselors here at Faithful and True, Jim Farm, to be with us. Welcome, Jim, to uh, the radio program. You haven't done this yet. No, this is my first time, and it's a privilege to be with you guys today. Well, that's good. Uh, Jim is uh, uh, a well-experienced counselor. He comes to us uh, after years of practice uh, with some other people, and uh, he's an ordained minister and uh, went to Bethel. And uh, he also is uh, an LMFT, so, right? Am yes, I right? you're exactly right. And we consider him just to be an all-around swell guy, which... Uh, well, you know, that's always a prerequisite. I well, mean, that's a given. <laughs> it's, that's a given. You need to be that to be on the show, so... That's right, that's right. All right. So we were, we were searching around for kind of a new series, new topic, and uh, I was polling some of the groups uh, over the last couple of days in terms of, you know, what kind of topics they would be interested in. And I think... One of the main things that comes up in our groups is, uh, you know, issues of relationship and uh, codependency. We've talked a lot about that on this show. But uh, yesterday, Jim and I lead a group on uh, Wednesday afternoon, and the whole uh, issue of uh, relationship and what the clinical community these days calls attachment theory came up. And uh, I thought that uh, it would be great to invite Jim to come and talk uh, with our audience about attachment theory. Which is a, you know, it's just kind of a slightly fancier word for relationship theory, don't you think? I, I, I don't know. That's right. That's right. And a lot of that research comes from uh, John Bowlby's work and Mary Ainsworth, of course, back in the 50s. And so attachment is just a fancy word for the mm-hmm. emotional connection between a relationship. A lot of people kind of think about the mother-child relationship when they think about attachment. But yeah. just even in the last 10 or 15 years, we're getting a lot more research or knowledge about you know, attachment plays into our adult relationship. Well, that's good because, as everybody knows, I've been in the field for 30 years, and uh, we always blame the mother. I mean, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, historically, for a male heterosexual sex addict. But this attachment theory is really a lot about, you know, what a child, even at, uh, you know, very young ages, one or two or three, uh, learns about the safety, I think, of uh, relationships. Does that make sense? What is the safety of relationships? I don't that struck me this morning that some of us learn that relationships are not safe. Yeah, yeah. And so we learned this pretty early on as young kids is, you know, some of the research that came out is where they would, you know, take mothers as, you know, in the, mm-hmm. in the 50s, obviously they're their primary caregivers in the 50s, and they would put, you know, toddlers in this room mm-hmm. with their mothers, and they would kind of see how kids would interact. Interact know, with their mothers. With yeah. their mothers. And so mm-hmm. um, we learned, you know, basically kids develop one of four attachment styles yeah, through that research. Yeah, there was some major uh, a part of that, that that I think took place in the 80s, where they would, they would also instruct the mother at some point to leave the room and then come back in and just see how the child reacted to that. That's right. Do you remember seeing that? Yeah, yeah. And so basically what they would see is they'd see kids, you know, initially protest that. Right. You know, this word in attachment often is when our caregiver, our closest 
connection or, or closest attachment figure leaves us, our initial reaction is to protest that. Yeah, so, well, uh, we should get right into this. I mean, we only have a half hour. I, I would say that we should probably just outline for the audience uh, the, uh, the four basic attachment styles. And by the way, uh, there's a great book in the Christian community that came out about this by one of my co-authors, Dr. Tim Clinton, and uh, one of my good friends, Gary Sipsey, and it was originally called Attachments, and now it's being called Why Do We Do the Things We Do? So this is not just a secular theory, this attachment stuff, is it? So That's right. That's okay. Right. Well, I like uh, thinking about it in terms of a, of a quadrant. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Oh, go ahead, then. Okay. So if you think of a quadrant, um, four, four different attachment styles within that quadrant, if you can think of in, in regard to close relationships, you know, how we perceive ourselves in that relationship, and then how we perceive our primary attachment figure. And so in secure attachment, we have what we call a positive sense of self in relationship, but then also a positive sense of other. For those of you who can use your imagination, and I know the men out there can, I'm talking about the top left quadrant. Yes. This, this just in. Yes. I know that our listeners can imagine this. <laughs> So if you can imagine that, the top left quadrant, so positive sense of self, positive sense of other, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. In other words, it means, you know, I feel worthy of getting my needs met, and I feel capable of being able to ask for my needs to be met. So that's the positive sense of self. Mm -hmm. The positive sense of other is the person I'm closest to is not only willing to meet my needs, but capable of doing so. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it, we're not just talking about marital relationships. We're talking about any and all relationships, right? That's right. It's kind of a positive sense. So, you know, I can be alone and okay as long as I have uh, my relationship with God. And I choose to be in relationship with safe people, basically, I think. Yeah. So this is a good one. This is the one we all want. That's right. How many people do we think actually have this? Well, I know originally the research showed that, you know, is is about 60-40. 60 but I think the, the research is coming down. It, it, I think it's matching almost the divorce rate in the country where it's 50-50. 50-50. Okay, yeah. so there would be 50% secure, and uh, the other 50%, the, the three unhealthy ones that we're going to get to here in just a second. That's right. Okay. Just a side note, I think the research that I think we talked a little bit about yesterday, I think the guy that did the research in regards to our community, the sexual addiction community, I think the research in terms of the insecure attachment, one of the three other forms of attachment styles, I think the, it's around 95%. So we have a, uh, a pretty unhealthy population of people when they first come in here. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying <laughs> okay. in terms of doing relationship. This is one of those uh, things, audience, that you don't like hearing, but it is probably true. Yeah, and I think you know, that's part of the sexual you know, addiction definition where they talk about intimacy disorder. Yeah, that's right. That's been a term used ever since the beginning days. Now, by the way, with this 95%, are we only talking about the addicts now, or are we talking about the wives also? Well, the research that I'm referring to, they just, they just researched the addicts. But, okay. but, you know, going with that, we would just assume, you know... Well, wait a minute, we got a lot of wives listening. <laughs> Don't assume anything. We'll be getting emails. That's right. <laughs> um, but just from the other research we're aware of, oftentimes what we'll see is one of the insecure forms of attachment we often couple with one, uh, someone else with, with that other form of insecure attachment. So in other words, you're saying, uh, like we've said for so many years, you know, an addict and a spouse is like they're, they're heat-seeking missiles, <laughs> yes. and it may be two unhealthy attachment styles looking for each other. That's right. Okay. 
All right. Well, do you, do you want to go to the next one then, which uh, in this quadrant thing is uh, the top right? The top right. So we're talking about ambivalent. Well, you might be, but I usually talk about avoidant. You go to avoidant first. Yeah. Okay. So avoidant detachment style has to do with um, where we have an overemphasis upon self and a negative emphasis upon other. In other words, there's an overemphasis upon my own needs being met and a sense of that the other person's not there for me. That's right. And so usually this comes out of families where there's uh, restrictive parenting. Rejection is high in this type of family. Sometimes there's a preoccupation with, with one of the parents in terms of their own own needs rather than the kids' needs. Could this be a situation where uh, there's emotional incest going on? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. So say a little bit more about that because that's quite a prevalent dynamic that we see here a lot. Yeah. Well, if you could think of it from a parent-child situation, if you can imagine, you know, little Johnny's, you know, crying, he's having a tantrum, and... Mom's trying to comfort him, you know, and eventually, you know, little Johnny is not calming down. Mm -hmm. And mom is going, gosh, you're making this so difficult for me. Mm -hmm. You know, she gets, she, she's internalizing it in herself rather than focusing on what is, what's the kidney in this situation. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of reversing the roles really, isn't it? Uh, That's right. The needs of the parent are supersede the needs of the child. That's right. The child is expected even at very young ages to emotionally uh, take care of the, uh, the parent. That's right. That's right. Okay. So basically the core belief that comes out of this is uh, I don't uh, need anybody else, basically. That's right. Others aren't accessible and others aren't safe. And so avoidant attachment, oftentimes they kind of down-regulate their autonomic nervous system. In other words, they... they oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So they are talking to our... How do you spell that? Okay. In other words, they shut down their emotions and their needs. Yeah, downregulate. That's that what they you downregulate. Okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to translate this. So, Thank you. Yeah, this a lot of this is about effective uh, regulation, but you're talking about the fact that they just shut down. So they're they're the ones who would seem distant and cold and unavailable. You know that kind of thing. That's right. Mark often does this for me. He, he, I mean, he 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 uh, he translates. He dumbs it down okay. so, so that so that I can know exactly what what you're talking about. You know, at this point, guys, uh, this is the perfect time for us to take our break. And when we come back, we'll continue with the other two quadrants uh, in this uh, discussion of uh, attachments. You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser and Jim Farm, and this is the Men of Valor program. I am lost in my mind I get lost in my mind Mama once told me You're already home when you feel love I am lost in my mind I get lost in my mind Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. 
If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. How's that bricklaying coming? How's your engine running? Is that bridge getting built? Are your hands getting filled? Won't you tell me, my brother? Cause there are stars up above. We can't stop. Time now for the trigger of the week. Randy, you were the one that pointed out to me uh, an announcement that came out yesterday. Yesterday, we're uh, recording this in uh, March. For those of you that are trying to figure out when this is, but uh, you've got the announcement there, so why don't you just uh, well it, talk about it? It caught my attention. It was actually uh, I was posting on Facebook for us about the upcoming April Men of Valor workshop. Just reminding that we still had some spaces available, and up popped this uh, post saying that uh, Walmart has removed Cosmopolitan magazine from their checkout aisles. Walmart is removing Cosmopolitan magazine from the checkout lines at 5,000 stores according across the U.S., according to USA Today. In a statement, uh, a Walmart spokesman said, As with all products in our stores, we continue to evaluate our assortment and make changes. Walmart will continue to offer Cosmopolitan customers that wish to purchase the magazine, but it'll no longer be located in the checkout aisles. There's been concern about the racy covers on Cosmopolitan and the National Center for Sexual Exploitation, the NCSE, claims that this was a victory, saying that we at the National Center of Sexual Exploitation have been working behind the scenes with Walmart for months regarding this policy improvement, and we applaud Walmart for making their checkout aisles family-friendly and sexploitation-free. You know, that's really great because... uh... We've talked about magazine covers, uh, particularly uh, Cosmopolitan, being the trigger of the week. And when I first heard the announcement, I said, this is a, a very positive step. And there's 20 other magazines that I could think of that probably shouldn't be in the checkout lane. Too. And yet I think this kind of movement, Mark, takes place a step at a time. That's right. Uh, because there are a number of other uh, magazines, as you just said, that fit that criteria. And, uh, you know, if there could just be more of an awareness that, you know, families are in line, they're checking out. Young children, they're looking at these images. They're seeing these headlines, mm-hmm. better sex, please your man, all these kinds of things that are in bold print. Uh, on these magazine covers, so uh, I, I think that this is uh, it's a it's a positive thing. I'm I'm encouraged to see something like this taking place. Yeah, that's right. So when we say it's the trigger of the week, uh, we're just kind of pointing to the fact that there are always, even in the most common of places, when we're doing daily tasks, there are sexual uh, triggers like this. So good for uh, Walmart. We uh, commend them for doing it. Well, let's bring our listeners back to today's show, gentlemen, and uh, and pick up where we had left off. You had just described for us, Jim. Oh, by the way, as a reminder, our special guest is Jim Farm, and Jim is one of the talented uh, therapists and counselors that we are lucky enough to have on staff here at Faithful and True. And uh, Jim is going to sit in on a couple of shows with Mark and me, and hopefully uh, discussing this hot topic. Right, so back to the quadrant. Or did we finish with avoidant, do you think? Yeah, I think we did. Okay. By the way, those of you that are listening might be uh, self-diagnosing, uh, which I encourage you to think about. 
but I would discourage you from thinking about diagnosing your spouse at this point. <laughs> I which, recommend it. Which would be a temptation. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. One of the things I should mention, we kind of talked about this yesterday, Mark, is, you know, it's often thought of is that maybe we've just developed one attachment style. But it's highly likely that we may have developed an attachment style with our parents that may have been one of the forms of insecure attachment, but luckily enough to have a grandparent that we learned secure attachment with. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think there's so many people that go through here that say that, that if it weren't for my grandfather, you know, uh, I would have been a lot worse off, or grandma, you know, that kind of thing. You're right. So it's, it's partly, I guess, because, you know, grandparents uh, are older, wiser, and they kind of learn to relax and let go a little bit more than parents d yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly when it comes to the next attachment style, I think, which is... A yeah. lot about the mother over-controlling. Yeah. So we're talking about the ambivalent, anxious, preoccupied attachment style. So it's kind of described in both those terms in the literature. Right. But that, that comes from this perspective that, you know, a negative sense of self, I'm, I'm not worthy of getting my needs met, I'm not capable of getting my needs met, and there's an overemphasis upon the other person. And so this usually comes out of a, an environment in which uh, there's parental inconsistency. So sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. The times that they're there uh, could mean that they're kind of over-controlling. Would that not be true? Yeah, that, that definitely would be true. Okay, okay. Yeah, I remember a story that uh, my daughter was telling me. They were doing a birthday party for my youngest grandson, Devin, and uh, Sarah had set up going bowling and laser tagging, and then they were going to come back to the house, and all the mothers were dropping the kids off at the house and, you know, glad for the time away and this one mother led the boy up to the front door you know holding his hand and Sarah you know met them there and said uh, yeah you can pick him up at six o'clock or whatever and uh, the mother said no you don't understand I'm going to stay and so she did and she proceeded to the bowling alley you know to tie his shoes for him I don't know what she did in laser tag but uh, the worst part of it was she came back to the house and actually uh, uh, spoon-fed him the ice cream and cake Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so again, the core, the core belief of this is uh, that I, I, I can't be alone and okay. Yeah. Would that be true? There's self-doubt. Yeah. There's self-doubt. And often what we'll see is, you know, if, if they're in a relationship with an avoidant, you know, adult relationship now with an avoidant type attachment spouse, mm -hmm. they will... And, kind of in contrast to an avoidant person who kind of over-regulates their emotion or kind of stuffs it or suppresses their feelings. Anxiously attached folks will kind of up the ante, so to speak. They will get really emotional. They'll or... get really emotional. Yeah. In order to get a response that they're, they're wanting or that acceptance that they're needing. And ironically, it usually pushes the person away. So the thing that they're looking for is usually getting pushed away in, in regards to how they're responding mm -hmm. to that. Right. You were saying that, you know, it, it's not uncommon then for, you know, this attachment style to be in a relationship with an avoidant attachment style. Would yeah. That, would that be true? I, I would say that we, we see that pattern quite a bit. And I think this is the pattern that uh, comes closest to what has historically been described as codependency. Would that be a fair statement, do you yeah. think? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, Patrick Carnes at one point... I don't know where he, he said this or wrote about this, but he often talked about codependence as this compulsive attachment. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but uh, the next time I see him, I'll have to ask him about it. Let me this. get him on the phone. <laughs> well, I, I could do that, I suppose. I, I could try. I do have a cell phone number, but 
uh, in the middle of the show, probably not. So, um, but I, I promise our audience I'll check this out if that's really important to figure that out. But uh, Pat uh, Carnes is not always, uh, the wife community has not always liked some of the things he's had to say okay. about this. But anyway, maybe we should talk about number four, kind of go from there. Okay. So number four is the attachment style we often see for, from people who experience a lot of abuse growing up. And so originally I think they called it disorganized attachment. Right. One of the newer names they have out there is anxious avoidant because we kind of see it play out in kind of both the other two forms of insecure attachment. These folks will kind of at times look like they're anxiously attaching and then other times it'll be that avoidant attachment. So oftentimes the, de the description of borderline would come into play here. You would mention a word that strikes fear in the hearts of all therapists. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes I think that that's the reason I say that is sometimes that's been diagnosed, I think. Borderline has been diagnosed. It's been diagnosed where, you know, maybe it has more to do with attachment and attachment trauma rather yeah. than, yeah. you know, actual diagnosis of borderline. Well, as you're saying, these, uh, these people uh, were in all likelihood profoundly sexually or physically perhaps also emotionally abused growing up. So that's right. they learned that the attachment wasn't safe. That's right. So they, they, they learned, you know, going to the quadrants again, they learned what we call a negative sense of self, but also that negative sense of other. In other words, I can't trust myself, you know, to get my own needs met. I'm, I don't feel worthy to get my own needs met. And I certainly don't trust, you know, my caregiver to be capable nor willing to meet my needs. Or my, or my partner. Or my partner. That's yeah. right. And this is what will, uh, I think, seem frustrating in relationship because it, on the one hand, it would seem like, you know, this person really wants a relationship, but then when attempts are made to get closer, they will somehow back away or sabotage it or just shut down, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Attachment styles, the way we kind of see them come into play is usually when an external stressor comes into the relationship or conflict comes into relationship. Okay. Then we usually, that's where we usually see this attachment style come into play in terms of relationship. Do you, do you think of an example of an yeah, external? That's what I was just gonna ask. What, what kind of event would, would trigger that? Yeah, let's just say, um, for example, you know, we, we get a, a letter about a financial hardship that comes in, into a couple's relationship, mm -hmm. right? So it's an outside stressor. Avoidantly attached person might just say, well, I'm just going to deal with this on my own. I'm not going to talk to my spouse about this. Mm -hmm. If the other spouse finds out about it, so if it's anxiously attached, they typically will go towards the spouse, attack them. You know, so we have this language John Gottman used to talk about in terms of, you know, turning towards behaviors, which is kind of secure attachment, or turning away, which is this avoidant attachment, or turning against, which is more of this anxious attachment. So. When this outside stressor comes in, we'll see a couple from the insecure attachment kind of do this turning away and turning against. Mm -hmm. Where securely attached couples will turn towards each other and try to work this issue out. Work this out as companions. That's right. Yeah, I was just thinking that uh, I have a friend and colleague, Dr. Ralph Earl, that I wrote a book with called The uh, Pornography Trap. But back in the 80s, uh, before I think this attachment theory was popular, he wrote a book and the title is, I think, indicative of what we're talking about about here. It was come here, go away. Yeah. So we need to wrap up for today. 
Yeah, I was uh, just seeing where this was going to go here as uh, Jim hit that fourth quadrant. And uh, But it is clear to me that uh, our listeners are going to appreciate mm-hmm. uh, this series. And uh, we can't thank you enough for joining us. This is fun to have you with us. Oh, I appreciate being with you guys for sure. Yeah, well, we'll come back to this next week. And uh, because I know a lot of couples listen to our show and we don't want to leave them hanging about, you know, now they've uh, been given permission to diagnose themselves in terms of one of these four uh, styles. So uh, let's come back next week and uh, talk about some proactive things you might do uh, if you want to get to that secure-attached place. Excellent. We'd like to invite our listeners, as they have heard today's program, if you've got any questions about attachments, uh, send us an email at info at faithfulandtrue.com and state to us your question, and hopefully uh, we can address that on the next show. As I said, you've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser and uh, Jim Farm as our special contributor. My name is Randy Everett. I'm your co-host, and we hope that this coming week will be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.